0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. What everybody doing this morning? What a, what a beautiful day. <clears throat> I'm Pastor Ray, and I serve as the interim lead pastor here at Epicos, and uh, I'm very excited to be a part of uh, of this congregation. We're currently studying through the book of Colossians, uh, as Ta- Pastor Tommy already mentioned, uh, which is Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and we'll be in the third chapter this morning. But before we get started, I just need to ask since I was here a couple weeks ago uh, talking about Thanksgiving, how was your Thanksgiving? Thumbs up? Ah, some of you knew what I was going to ask. Thumbs down? I don't see any. I hope there aren't any thumbs down. I I imagine some of you joined the rush uh, of shopping to get the best deals you could uh, on the day after Thanksgiving. Or perhaps you got up at dawn to go online and take advantage of uh, no waiting lines, no shopping carts, no masses of people, and still get the deals that you wanted. I remember the days when people would line up in front of stores at midnight on Thanksgiving Day because the stores wouldn't open until six o'clock in the morning, and they would stand out all night trying to get the best bargain they possibly could. I know for a lot of people, the days following Thanksgiving are a time of setting up decorations to begin the celebration of, of Easter, I'm sorry, of Christmas. <laughs> For some people, seasons are moving too fast. For some people, that season seems to get a little bit longer each year with people starting before Thanksgiving. I think maybe some of that started during COVID because people were just looking for something to celebrate and they couldn't wait to get started on Christmas. Well, for Kay and I, uh, the decorating began the day after Thanksgiving as it usually does as we dug through all the closets in the house and storage in the garage to get the decorations out. It was a time, once again, of realizing how much junk, precious memories, uh, we have accumulated just over the past year. It's even sadder that during this last year we got half a dumpster and filled it with a lot of those precious memories, but we still have way too much stuff. But we eventually gathered what we needed and began the process of setting up the tree, a little Christmas village that I've accumulated pieces from over the years and begin our own <clears throat> celebration. We all know it's easier to acquire new things, especially at Christmas, than to repurpose or throw away old things. So our garages, our attics, our closets, and even basements become filled with things we just can't seem to part with, but often get in the way of things that we want to add to our home. You know, that can be true in our personal lives as well. <clears throat> it's easier to acquire new habits than it is to quit old habits, especially those that we've had for a long time even if it's something that is harmful to us personally. And that can create an emotional and even a spiritual crisis in our lives as we try to balance those things out. The Apostle Paul understood that. He was by profession a persecutor of those who followed Jesus after his death and resurrection. When he was forever transformed by an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and became a defender of the Christian faith, he went through radical, professional, relational, and lifestyle challenges. I don't think most of us can even imagine the kinds of challenges that he faced in those areas. When he wrote his letter to the believers in the city of Colossae, who themselves experienced radical life changes when they accepted the gospel and and committed their lives to follow Christ, he addressed the issues all new and growing believers face. I'm sure they're true for us today. The challenges included lifestyle, personal habits, and behaviors that were ingrained in their everyday lives that would be difficult to change. But it also involved establishing some new behaviors that will enable them to grow in their faith and in their relationships with other believers and in their testimony to those that they want to lead to Christ. Let's begin by reading our passage in verses 3 to 5 of Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, Whatever is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry because on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul's premise is this. When Christ is your life, or should we say, when Christ is your new life, you will need to put to to death sinful desires, to put away spiritual behavior, and to put on the new life. Now today, we'll focus on the first two, putting to death sinful desires and putting away sinful behavior. Next week, the focus will be putting on the new self, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, you can see that these are action statements that Paul is telling these believers in Colossae to take. Um, It's not a dialogue or simply philosophical thinking. And it's also important to understand that these three commands are not sequential. It's not put to death, then put away, and then put on but they're active, simultaneous things that we need to do and apply to our lives. They couldn't pick and choose which they wanted to do, and neither can we. It's kind of like driving a car. There are three basic things that are essential to driving, the steering wheel, the gas pedal, and the brake. You can't get into a car and decide, I'm just gonna use the gas pedal today. Although, as you look around, you kind of get the idea that's what some people are thinking. Nor can you decide to use the steering wheel and the gas pedal and forget about the brakes. That'll also lead to disaster. But I think you get the picture. As believers growing in Christ, we need to focus on all three of Paul's commands. Let's begin by taking a look at the first two. First of all, put to death sinful desires. Now remember that these verses are a continuation of what Paul says in verses 1 to 4 that we looked at last week. Let's go back for a moment so we can see the context or the preface, if you will. Verse 1, therefore, having been raised in Christ and now seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now why is this preface so important? Well, because it sets the context for the commands. Paul is not just going on a rant based on personal ideas or opinions. This doesn't come from him. It's coming from God. Paul even personalizes it to them. If then you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things that are above Christ seated at the right hand of God. You know, when you stop and think of that, the picture of Christ seated at the right hand of God, that's, that's our picture of victory over sin and death and not on things that are on earth. Verse three, if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, our, to be hidden, it's not simply hidden away, it means that he is guarding them He is keeping us safe from the enemy. And there's more to come. He says in verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You see, when we accept the gift of God, salvation by faith in Christ alone, For the forgiveness of our sin, following and serving Christ becomes our new life. Christ who sits at the right hand of God, Paul reminds us, will appear. Don't forget, he's coming again. His promises include a new heaven and a new earth for those who have accepted his gift of salvation through faith in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul assures us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New life in Christ. Now back to verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly to you. Notice Paul doesn't say lighten up. Or even, you know, try to avoid some of those things. Put to death. To abandon what is earthly. What does that include? Well, all those things that are in opposition to our new life in Christ that are barriers to spiritual growth and to the blessings of our new life in Christ. Paul doesn't leave it to our imagination to decide what those things are and the language he uses is really quite specific. The first found in verses 5 to 7 is directed towards sexual immorality, while the second list, verses 8 to 11, deals with sins related to anger in some fashion or another. Both were prevalent in the church in Colossae, and both are actions that will be barriers to our personal spiritual growth and destroy unity within the body of Christ. Sexual immorality is the umbrella term under which Paul lists more specific categories of sinfulness. He uses the word impurity. Impurity is the contamination of character through immoral behavior. He uses the word passion. And in this context, it refers to unbridled evil desire of any kind and lust, uncontrolled, unbridled sexual urges and behavior. See, sin begins with the idea of illicit gratification, which is presented in our minds as temptation. And if that temptation isn't at once halted or put to death, but allowed to grow and is acted upon, it becomes lust. So what starts out as a simple uh, temptation grows into a powerful force in our lives. Evil desire, which leads to lust. Covetousness, Paul says, which is idolatry. It's, it's unchecked hunger for physical pleasure which is the breeding ground for more specific evil desires. And in all of this, we have to remember something. Hebrews 4.15, which says, <clears throat> for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Can Jesus relate to what we're going through in our lives, especially in our world as it is today? Yes, he can. Because he faced the same kinds of temptations. Author and scholar N.T. Wright reminds us, to put something to death, you must cut off its lines of supply. It's futile and self-deceiving to bemoan one's inability to resist the last stage of a temptation when the earlier stages have gone by unnoticed or perhaps even eagerly welcomed. The little things that we refuse to put to death have great ramifications in our lives. God gave us his son to die on the cross to defeat sin and evil. Everything that brings death into this world, which will be eliminated in the new world that he's preparing for us. Now for the command put to death, Paul gives the grounds in verses six and seven. He says, on account of these, because of these, this evidence of our sin nature, the wrath of God is coming. Now remember, God is not finished with the world yet. We're living in this window of opportunity to live the life that he's called us to live and to proclaim the good news throughout the world. On the personal side, we ought to have the same kind of wrath about sin and about our own lives in this world. How do we handle our sin? We should regard it the same way. Wright continues, it's not the case that God happens to dislike this sort of behavior and is so decided as if arbitrarily to punish it. On the contrary, the wrath of God, it hardly needs saying, is not a malicious or capricious anger, but the necessary reaction of true holiness, justice, and goodness to wickedness, exploitation and evil of every kind. God hasn't changed his mind about sin. God's holiness will not allow the acceptance of sinful behavior as normal. And in verse seven, he says, in these you too once walked or lived when you are living in them under the old nature, separated from God. Paul addresses us at length as well in his letter to the church in Ephesus chapter 4 verse 17 he says so i tell you this and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts having lost all sensitivity They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Notice how he ties greed into that same list of evil. So the first thing Paul is saying is you need to put to death the sinful desires. But at the same time, simultaneously, you need to put away the sinful behavior. The behavior is the giving in to those desires. And for the command put away, Paul uses two different participles in verses 9 and 10 that that serve as grounds for the command. Having put off the old man. That's the assumption. When we give our lives to Christ, when we receive uh, new life in him, the forgiveness of sins, We've put off the old man and having put on the new man. That's the the other reality of making Christ our savior, of accepting that gift of free life. The two go hand in hand. It's not just one or the other, which gives the result of having put on a new man. They are now then being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the creator. And they're part of the one new people of God. Where there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. We'll come back to that in a moment. But verse eight, but now, in other words, as one raised in Christ, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath. Malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Get rid of them. And most of these are tied in one way or another to anger. Anger is emotion that's fueled by hatred, which leads to all kinds of behavior. Wrath is rage, it's unbridled anger. Maybe you'll think of the Marvel action character, the Hulk. The unbridled anger that emerges from him. Or malice. Malice is evil intended to cause hurt. It's what I do to someone else because I want to hurt them. Slander. Accused with evil intent. Obscene talk from your mouth. Filthy language that contaminates your thought life. I don't know. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm standing in line someplace, listening to people around me talk, I sometimes wonder, why do people talk like that? (laughs) Why do people act like that? How is it that people think like that? See, they're living according to the old nature. I mean, in some ways it's fair to say they don't know any better because they've not experienced what that new life in Christ can be all about. Stop and think, how much does our media influence how we think, how we talk, and even how we behave? More than we'd like to admit, I'm afraid. Paul adds another imperative in verse nine. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, having been raised with Christ, with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, Paul makes the basis of that clear. Lies and deceitfulness are components of the old self, how we lived before we received God's grace and forgiveness. But now we've put on the new self Our new life in Christ, they need to be eliminated like any of the other sins that he's already outlined. In any relationship, lies and deceitfulness destroy trust in ways that cause even more damage. Sins of anger and deceitfulness have destroyed many churches throughout the years and shattered the image of Christ in communities around the world paul also reminds us that renewal in terms of spiritual growth is a process and he reveals to believers the truth that we find in his word which is designed to conform us to the image of our creator god that image was destroyed in the garden of eden when man sinned against god But now through the atonement of Jesus Christ by our submission to the word and the filling of the Holy Spirit we are being renewed in knowledge which conforms us to his image as the holy, righteous, and loving God who we can call our Father. In the next verse, Paul makes it clear that when it comes to God's grace and forgiveness, there are no barriers based on our background, especially our religious background. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Here in the new life, there are no longer the distinctions that existed in the past. Distinctions of ethnicity. In their time, there were the Greeks who believed in many gods and the Jews who were God's elect, his chosen people. Distinctions of religious background. He refers to the circumcised and the uncircumcised. In other words, a practicing Jew or a Gentile. Distinctions of language. A barbarian was anyone who did not speak the Greek language. Isn't that interesting? if you didn't speak Greek in those days, you were a barbarian. Or culture. He refers to Scythia, which is in North Asia, where there existed extreme examples of really barbarian uh, behavior. Or our status, economic status, social status, Slave or free, slaves because of race, color, class distinction, history, or overall economics, economic status. None of those are barriers that keep us from receiving the grace of God, that keeps us from sharing with them the good news. Your heritage or whatever this distinctions that the world may assign to you It's not a barrier to receiving the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Because as Paul says in verse 11, Christ is all and in all. It's fair to say we all have different issues and struggles often based on our background, our our family that we grew up with. But they can't become our excuse for failing to live our new life in Christ. Maybe you grew up in a home where profanity was a a part of nearly every conversation. But you can change that in your life. You can change that in your home today. Maybe you grew up in a home where anger was a part of everyday life. But you can change that. You don't need to give in to that anger and continue the cycle of destruction that it can cause. Once again, write comments, the ancient world, just like the modern, was an elaborate network of prejudice, suspicion, and arrogance, so ingrained as to be thought natural and normal. They are ultimately a denial of the creation of humankind in the image of God. Doesn't this sound like our world today? <laughs> So how much will we allow the world to dictate how we think, act, or even feel? We need to be conscious of where our belief and our lifestyles come from. That's why it's so important for us to be in God's word on a daily basis and to be together with other believers on a regular basis. So to summarize, Paul tells us that we must first put to death our sinful desires. Secondly, we must put away our sinful behavior. And next week, he'll add to that, put on the new self. One final quote from Wright. He says, Paul sets a clear standard for the church, both ancient and modern. Many Christians tend to concentrate on one list or the other. One knows of Christian communities that would be appalled at the slightest sexual immorality but which are nests of malicious intrigue, backbiting, gossip, bad temper, and conversely of others where people are so concerned to live in untroubled harmony with each other that they tolerate flagrant immorality. The gospel, however, leaves no room for behavior of either sort. So here's our question for today. What's in your closet? What are things that are stored away in your closet that you need to get rid of, that you need to be serious about, talk to the Lord about, pray about, to be released from it so that you can clean that out of your closet. Maybe it's an addiction that you hide that is poisoning your mind or your body Maybe it's a broken relationship because you spoke harshly to someone, reacted in anger to something that was said or done. Or perhaps a recurring sin that you need to call out and confess to God. You know it's there, but you've not confessed it. And perhaps you need someone to hold you accountable for that. The consequences of sin cause great destruction. A man I know just resigned his job as a Christian in a Christian organization because of internet-based sin that led to personal blackmail. His whole life and career of service to God is now tainted by sin that he kept hidden in his closet and then became public. Now his whole family, as well as the organization he worked for, has to deal with the consequences of what he's done. What's in your closet? What do you need to do? Well, you need to name your sin. You need to confess it, first of all, to God for what it is. You know, confession is agreeing. When we confess to God, we're in agreement with him about what he thinks as it relates to that sin. And then you need to repent of your sin, to turn away from it and to purge your life of whatever it is that's feeding the impulse and leading you in that direction. It's it's not easy to live in a society that doesn't have the same values as we have. Values that are based on the unchanging word of God. But that's the world that the church in Colossae lived as well. And as Paul points out, when it comes to forgiveness and to new beginnings in Christ, it doesn't matter what your background, ethnicity, or religious heritage are, there are no distinctions when it comes to the grace of God. Paul wrote that to the church in Ephesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. I didn't do this on my own. I did it under the power of God. In our personal lives, as we consider these issues, we we know we can't change our past and, and oftentimes we are living with the consequences of decisions we've made. But we can change our present and our future decisions that we make today. At the foot of the cross, there is forgiveness because, verse 11, Christ is all and in all. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter two, Jesus is enough. Jesus is all we need. In 1 John 1, 9, we're reassured if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful and just to forgive our decision. And I have to add as well here this morning, if, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus in your life, that's the place to begin. If God has brought you to that place where you desire his forgiveness and his cleansing to embark on a new journey with him, you can can pray a prayer similar to this. Father, I thank you for being the God of forgiveness and new beginnings. I confess my sin and ask for your forgiveness and cleansing through the blood shed by Jesus Christ on the cross for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me strength and guidance for my life for this day forward. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You know, if you're praying a prayer like that for the first time, or perhaps for a second or third time, I'd, I'd like to encourage you to use Uh, The connection card, you can go online and indicate your desire to meet with somebody and talk about it further. And somebody who has a background that knows and understands that will respond to you. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the freedom from sin you have made possible through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, who is all and in all. Thank you for not leaving us to follow or serve under our own strength. But you have provided your Holy Spirit to indwell us, to strengthen us, to alert us to sin and to bring us to the foot of the cross where we can be forgiven and set free. And Lord, I pray that many would do that today to be set free by your power, to be filled with your Holy Spirit and to live victorious in their lives. In Jesus' name.